I think that's finally recognition dawning that the people who have been concerned about this for years weren't just making it up. This is a real problem. Yes. And the numbers are staggering. My fellow patriots, I'm Kelly Jackson, reporter for the Tennessee Conservative, the state's largest conservative news alternative. Today, I am joined by Tennessee Attorney General Jonathan Scarmetti. Um, how are you today, Attorney General? How should I address you? <laughs> Attorney General's fine, I guess. Um, I'm good. We're still thawing out a little bit. There's been a lot of snow everywhere, and um, I have some very excited children who have been you know, keeping me very busy in the snow over the weekend. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I have tennis. I have teenagers, but yes, I am very anxious for them to rejoin their classmates in school tomorrow. So I feel you. Um, so I just wanted for those who weren't aware, because you're pretty relatively recently appointed for those who aren't aware. I just want to give a little bit of background. Um, you were sworn into an eight year term back in September of 2022. Uh, you served as Governor Lee's counsel, uh, chief counsel. Um, before that, you spent 10 years as a federal prosecutor, federal uh, prosecuting like sex traffickers and corrupt government officials, which is all amazing stuff. Uh, and then before that, it looks as though you worked at the Memphis firm for Butler and Snow. Did I miss anything key there? <laughs> um, I spent a little time at the attorney general's office before I went over to the governor too, which was helpful for helpful. getting stuff. Uh, yes. When I yes. Yes. Wonderful. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and I know we only have a short period of time and we've already had some technical difficulties. So let's go ahead and get into it. Um, the first question that I had is uh, some of the recent suits that you've been engaged in on behalf of the state of Tennessee and some of those wins, specifically referring to the recent win in the Fifth Circuit and the federal government mandates on things like dishwashers and gas stoves. Of course, that's been all over the news. We've seen the memes come and take it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it looks like about 11 states total participated. So can you sort of explain what the mandate, what sort of mandates they were attempting to impose and some of the detail about the outcome, why the court held in favor of the states? Sure. So that particular case dealt with washing machines and dishwashers. We're seeing efforts to regulate every possible appliance in the home. Uh, and we're, we're at various stages of, of pushing back against all sorts of those different mandates. But the one that went to the Fifth Circuit was just dishwashers and washing machines. It was the Department of Energy trying to make them more water efficient and power efficient. The problem was there was evidence that doing that ended up making people use more water and more power because the devices didn't work. And we've all seen it. You get this super efficient dishwasher and your dishes are dirty. You have to pre-wash. You have to run the cycle twice. The cycles take longer. It's really stupid. Yeah. Uh, and the government was mandating these ineffective machines. And so, you know, on behalf of our consumers, we didn't want them to pay more to get a crummier dishwasher, or crummier washing machine. Uh, I, I, too, am a consumer and I want yeah. a washing machine that works. I want a dishwasher that works. Yes. Yes. No, I 100% agree. We just bought a brand new refrigerator this weekend because we've had ours about 10 years and it just stopped working. And I remember 
a day when you used to be able to buy an appliance and it lasted 20, 25 years. And the EPA has done a good job in removing the, the ability of manufacturers to produce a product that can be repaired in such a way where they make it last longer. So yes, that, that, that agency has caused a lot of trouble in that way uh, for people. Um, so I guess the other question that I did have too was uh, regarding the lawsuit that we you have engaged in with Facebook or as we all know, Meta. Um, I was hoping to get an update on that lawsuit and uh, can you kind of briefly explain explain the premise of how that suit is going, what it's what the foundations of it are are and 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 the uh, the route that we're taking uh, against against this huge tech giant. Sure. So I mean, the basis of the case is, you know, we have consumer protection laws. They say you can't put out a product that hurts people. You can't put out a product that's causing harm without warning people about those harms. And Meta over the years has been misleading people about the harms. And it's designed a product that it knows is hurting kids. So, I mean, we, we've got internal conversations. They're in the unredacted complaint that was just unsealed where there are people inside the company at high levels who recognize that the way they designed the Facebook platform, or I'm sorry, the Instagram platform is yeah. actively hurting kids. And they're looking at the dopamine production effects. So they're looking into how brains work yeah. and creating a device that's going to manipulate that. And they know that it's doing so to the detriment of their young users. And we just want them to stop. This isn't a cash grab. I don't want to micromanage the company. I can't run a big tech company. If I could, I'd have a much nicer car. But <laughs> you know, the law says you can't put out a product that's hurting people, and especially when it's kids. Yeah, you're deliberately going after kids in a way that's having a profound impact on an entire generation. Yeah, I got the authority to make them stop, and I'm going to use it. And I'm working with every other AG in the country on this. Would that be sort of related to the other um, lawsuits that are going on in states with uh, websites like Pornhub? I know that they're pulling out of some states that are requiring an age, like putting an age restriction on the website. So are we engaged in things like that as well um, against those kinds of lawsuits, those companies? So I can't I can't talk about attorney-client privilege communications with yeah. various as I have in the state government. Yes. Um, I think it's been publicly reported that there are people in Tennessee that are looking at that. And so far, it, it has been fierce First Amendment yeah. fighting. And yeah. in some courts, uh, the porn companies have lost, and some they've won. Uh, if the fight comes to Tennessee, we will litigate that very aggressively. Uh, so it's just a matter of letting the legislature pass laws, the governor sign them. Uh, and if, if it comes to that, we are fully prepared for that fight. That's great. Yeah. Um, it just seems like when when there are laws that are created in our legislature, these companies, they also have a, a, a fleet of attorneys at their disposal to try and help circumvent the uh, the laws on at every state. And it seems like Pornhub has just sort of decided, you know what, just the states that pass those laws, we're just going to pull out and not operate in those states. And that would be a fantastic thing for Tennessee for certain. Uh, some of the other questions that I had, and these are a little, these might be a little meatier, and I don't know, uh, you know, how deep we can get into this in our short time that we have. 
But one of the issues that's been very important to our readers specifically has been the issue regarding what has been aptly characterized as an invasion at our southern border and how that has affected so many states, including Tennessee and Tennessee not even being a border state. But I guess with what's going on at our border, essentially every state becomes a border state. So there are a couple of parts to this. The first part that I have and, and what I do might do is just pose it to you all in one question and then you can address it how you would like to is, um, for example, first of all, the well-known precedent, the Plyler v. Doe precedent that basically I know I'm putting this probably oversimplifying it. Um, but it basically states that illegal immigrant children would have the right to things like a public education by virtue of the fact that they're human and that they made it across the border into the country. I, like I said, I could be oversimplifying. But then the issue becomes important when you're making decisions about things like school choice, like we are currently in our state, as other states have done recently. And you find out that because of precedents like because of Plyler v. Doe specifically, the, the children of these illegal immigrants would also be funded under a voucher type system. I'm sure it would depend on the mechanisms uh, as well. But is there an opportunity for states to file lawsuits against the federal government in an effort to overturn Plyler v. Doe in the same way that we eventually were able to overturn Roe? And then the second part of this question would be, about state sovereignty and the states having the ability just to sue the federal government for just damages because they refuse to enforce the immigration laws and the things that have occurred in our state. Our publication specifically has um, reported on incidences against Tennesseans, um, murder, child rape, those kinds of things. I just saw a post on X today about a woman who's suing the federal government because her autistic daughter was raped and murdered by an MS-13 gang member. So would that be a realistic endeavor for any red state uh, AG, you know, like yourself or even Ken Paxton? We've seen this happening all over the country to sue the federal government for damages because they just they won't enforce our immigration laws. So uh, let me let me try to unpack that a little bit. <laughs> We've got a little time. This is a, a an incredibly important issue. This might be the most important issue out there. Yeah. I mean, when you're seeing Democratic mayors, when you're seeing Senator Fetterman come out and say this is a huge problem, uh, I think that's finally recognition dawning that the people who have been concerned about this for years weren't just making it up. This is a real problem. Yes. And the numbers are staggering. This is something the Republican AGs talk about literally every time we get together. Yeah. Uh, and we we have been trying to come up with ways to address it. You see a lot of litigation. Uh, right now, we're in litigation here in Tennessee with uh, the Department of Homeland Security, just trying to get information out of them yes. to figure out what potential basis there might be to move forward. Uh, and we're litigating over some Freedom of Information Act requests. Um, we have successfully fought back against some regulatory programs that create visa or visa type uh, programs because that's federal overreach where it's not authorized. But the fundamental legal problem we have with border security is we're not talking about federal overreach. We're talking about federal underreach. Yeah. And there are the, the legal tools to address that are much fewer. Um, you know, the courts have said, and there was a Texas case at the Supreme Court last year, the courts have said, 
the extent to which the federal government enforces this stuff mm -hmm. is political decision by the executive branch and the courts aren't going to second guess it. It's called the political question doctrine. And so ultimately the solution might, might have to be either an election yeah. or impeachment. Uh, yeah. And I know there's, there's a house uh, committee representative green is chairing it, looking at impeachment of the secretary of Homeland security right now. And I think you're, you're seeing that gain steam in part because there's really no other mechanism that we've been able to find to address the problem. Now, Plyler versus Doe is out there. It's been there for a long time. Yes. I think when the court reached that decision, it was a much, much different situation. Yes. Not have the same volume. And it was possible uh, for local governments to absorb those costs in a way that in most of the country wasn't a big deal. Now, legally, that shouldn't make a difference. Right. Uh, the law should be the law. But, you know, it was it was a different era on the Supreme yes. Court back and then they had a, a little bit more of a loose approach to constitutional interpretation. I don't know whether a suit against the federal government would be the right vehicle to look at Plyler. It might be uh, us getting sued, or there may be another way to look at it. it we, this is not this is not the first conversation I've had about Plyler. A lot of people are aware of it. A lot of people are concerned about it. Mm -hmm. uh, it is an impediment. Because one of the reasons people come here is because there are, there are a lot of incentives once you get here. Yes. Uh, so at some point, we'll figure out a way to revisit it. I, I think we're probably going to reach that point soon. I don't know whether the court will reverse it or not. Um, I think we have some really good arguments to make when the time comes, but uh, it, it'll be it'll be a challenge to get those together and. You know, we have to be strategic about how we build yes. the law up, and we've been working on that. But it's it has been frustrating. I mean, my dad every time I see him says, "You know, why haven't you filed the suit to solve the immigration problem?" <laughs> Nothing <laughs> like your dad holding you accountable, even when you're you're the attorney general of the state. <laughs> he has very strong opinions. Um, so you know, we're we're looking really hard at these issues. I understand how frustrated everybody is. Yes. Uh, this, this may be a situation where at the end of the day, elections have consequences, and that might be the only solution, but we're certainly not giving up on trying to figure out every possible mechanism we can. Yeah. Uh, things back. As far as the state sovereignty and damages issue, there are some immunity doctrines that I think will make that challenging. Yeah. But, but I recognize it is costing a fortune to deal with the federal government's abdication of border security. Yes. It is putting a huge strain on the state. It is creating a lot of risks for the state. Um, it's creating risks for the people that they're busing in here. Yes. We know that DHS is sending people to Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we're trying really hard to find out is who are they sending? When are they sending them? Right. What program is authorizing sending them? Right. Uh, because you hear about these buses popping up in random little places and dropping people off. Well, if those people are you know, the kind of vulnerable, innocent people that we hear are coming across the border. I recognize that's not everybody coming across the border. Dropping them off somewhere where they don't speak the language, they don't know where they are, that that's creating additional law enforcement yes. problems for the state because you've got these new vulnerable people to protect. So, that, I mean, it's just a huge resource drain. Uh, so I, I'm well aware of how frustrated everybody is. And, yeah. you know, uh, to, to the extent that... Um, it reassures, and I, we're all really frustrated too. Every Republican AG is 
looking very hard at these issues and all of us are brainstorming trying to figure out what hooks we might have yeah to push back so would it be more useful then as as in Roe or even you go way back to Brown v Board of Education where there was a lawsuit filed you know on behalf of one little girl on behalf of one person like the family initiates a lawsuit and then it works its way up through the system versus an AG just going directly after the federal government. Would that be more helpful for state entities to then sort of co-opt that and take that all the way up? It might, or, I mean, I think probably the most likely scenario, and this is, you know, this is just me guessing, this is not legal advice or anything, um, but the most likely scenario would be if there's a school district that is just overwhelmed, they can't provide the services and they get sued, that would that would be the vehicle for getting the case up. Because if we went in and sued, it would have to be looking for a declaratory judgment, most likely. Um, yeah. And I I don't know how receptive the court would be to that. Okay. But, uh, I, I mean, it's... It, one way or another, it's coming because the resource yes. limitations are so stark. Yes. Uh, and again, like this is this is where the solicitors general from the different AG offices have been really working very hard trying to figure out appropriate strategies. And you can see different cases where, you know, one of us is trying to make something stick. Yeah. Uh, frankly, not had a ton of luck yet. You know, we've been nipping around right. the edges. But getting to the big questions has been tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that would be uh, difficult to do. I guess the question then would be, could you say then definitively, I don't know if I should use the word definitively, but would, would then because of the fact that the precedent is the precedent and there's no immediate uh, remedy for addressing that, we'd have to work our way up to something like that. Could it be a fair statement to say then that any of the programs for school choice that are being offered in any of the states, regardless of the motivation for it, would sort of then be funding illegal immigration by proxy? I mean, I know that's a strong statement, but because of the fact that we're forced to fund people that shouldn't even be here, wouldn't that then perpetuate the issue even further would it be a better route to go to essentially utilize uh, some kind of, of credit system through our taxes? Then that way we can ensure that it is only American citizens that are benefiting from something like school choice. I know it's a big question, but. So I think the tax credit angle is interesting. I think the problem in Tennessee is we yeah. have such low taxes. <laughs> exactly. Which is great. You know, I think at the end of the day, regardless of how these kids are getting education, we're forced to pay for it. And so from my perspective, it doesn't, like having a new program that gives more flexibility to parents doesn't really implicate the immigration issue because either way we're going to be paying for uh, illegal immigrant education. Uh, and under Plyler, you know, that's the courts will force us to do it until the Supreme Court says yeah. otherwise. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I don't I don't see school choices especially implicating that issue. I think it's just out there universally. 
And I don't think we should let that dictate our education policy decisions because, you know, we need an educated populace of American citizens so that we can govern ourselves effectively. Yeah. And if, if we have different opportunities for kids to learn, if some parents aren't comfortable with public schools and they want to have choices, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's important, not just for those kids, but for the country. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence that public schools improve when they have competition too. I mean, it's what America is built on. Yes. When you have competition, everybody's better off. Yeah. I think the concern would be from a lot of, of, of groups would be that because of the fact that the money would be basically being becoming from the government, that the, the standards would then be changed for public or for private and home schools and thus becoming an extension of public schools, which is what people were trying to get away from in the first place. That's not a legal question. So let's get back to the legal questions. I, I don't want to get too far over my skis either, but um, yeah, I mean, I think plowers is going to apply no matter what context yeah. you're in. Yeah. Sort of public. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the last question I would have, and this is completely not related to schools, but um, it, it we have a little bit of time. So um, so, and I know this is something our readers would be interested in in understanding more about. Um, considering in the last handful of years, the federal government attempted to use OSHA um, as a means to impose COVID mandates and, you know, regarding vaccines and masks, there is some concern about an upcoming rule change to the language for the these inspection teams that would go in and inspect businesses, churches, what have you. The current language states uh, the representatives representative representatives authorized by employees shall be an employee employees of the employer. The expansion would in the language by the Biden administration would um, be the representatives authorized by employees may be an employee of the employer or a third party. So I guess the question people have is who would these third parties be? How do we know what is that expansion in the rules? How would that what would that look like? And would it enable opposing organizations to be included on these inspection teams? Why or why not? So I've heard a little bit about this. Um, I know people are looking at it. I'm not super up to speed on this particular issue, but I do know the trends that we've seen from the administration. And, and I hope it's clear, you know, from my record that I'm not shy about suing the federal government for overreach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we would have to see what the statute authorized. And if they're making big changes to policy through regulation, which is something that's happened repeatedly yeah. uh, in the last couple of years, the Constitution doesn't allow for that. Decisions yeah. have to be made by the people's representatives yeah. who are accountable to people. And so this, if this is a way of trying to backdoor in uh, some, some new mandate for uh, I don't know if hostile is the right word, but, you know, <laughs> adversarial oh. organization. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, you know, there there are legal bases sometimes for regulations to be made, and, and it's an important part of the law. Yeah. Uh, to people know how the, the agencies are going to enforce. Yeah. Uh, but if a big policy change, typically that's a, that's a non-delegation issue, and we're going to have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I have had uh, some outreach from a few people who mentioned this, and uh, I believe there are some other folks looking at it. 
Uh, and you know, that's one of the things we we have a lot of issues with federal overreach these yes. days. It's yes. a lot of tag teaming uh, in the AG community where, yes. you know, each of us has a relatively small office. I mean, we're, we're blessed with one of the bigger Republican AG offices here in yeah. Tennessee. Yes. Uh, but there's a lot of ground to cover. And yeah. so there are times an issue that is important and, you know, we'll, we'll sign on, but there's somebody else who's doing a lot of the work. And conversely, there's times when we're, you know, leading the charge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what they say about those bureaucracies. They're the, they're the fourth branch of government. <laughs> I, had, I had an undergrad class that was all about that. And I kept looking at the constitution and article four didn't mention anything about another branch of government. No. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it would be beneficial for us as a country to shrink it or eliminate it altogether for the most part, because we don't need unelected bureaucrats making decisions for us. We we've elected our um, Congress people and our senators to do that for us. And fortunately for us here in Tennessee, a lot of those decisions have been really good ones for us as a state. Um, it's just unfortunate that the White House is so hostile against, you know, red states and its citizens. So. And, you know, the, the one thing I want to emphasize, too, is we have a state government that's very responsive to the people and the constitutional structure is designed for the states to do a lot of the work of governing. There are things that the federal government has to do, like yeah. border security. And the more they try to do all this other stuff, the worse they get at the jobs that they need to be doing, border security, national security. Yeah. Uh, so we're really suffering for a federal government that's getting way too involved in issues that it shouldn't be bothered by. Uh, exactly. We have state governments that are fully capable of addressing a lot of this stuff. Yes, yes. And and it it has been, uh, I personally have been in the trenches for about three and a half years myself, ever since they pulled my children out of school and tried to put masks on them. So I've, I've educated myself and I feel like it's incumbent upon every single one of our citizens to get in there, get elbow deep, educate yourself, know which organizations are there for you to provide resources and and you know our state government officials like your office that are willing to talk to people like me you know a citizen that's just trying to uh, get out the information so that we all know exactly where we stand here as a state and who is willing to stand on the uh, on the front and protect our rights uh, as Tennesseans. So I, I can tell you, I really appreciate you. Um, I really appreciate the fact that you were appointed in 2022 because I wasn't a huge fan of your predecessor. No disrespect to A.G. Slattery, but uh, I feel like you've been very effective in the short period of time that you've been in your position. Well, thank you. You know, he he's a very reticent man and he was fighting some really good fights. He started the Title IX fight um, but I think there, there are a lot of fights to fight and I've been blessed with a comps team that's been very aggressive about making sure everybody knows exactly what fights yeah. we're getting into and yeah. there are a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but thank you very much. Yeah. Tennessee is a great, great state. Yes. You now we need to make sure everybody here has the opportunity to flourish. Yes. Well, and we've got so many, uh, transplants coming in every day, all the time. I think everybody I talk to, half the people I speak to, uh, on the street, in the store. Yesterday, we bought a refrigerator from a, a nice gentleman who moved here five years ago from California. So uh, I myself am a California native. So I, I know what 
I know what a rhino looks like real well. And the people come in here, they're willing to, you know, go stand shoulder to shoulder with us here in Tennessee and do our best to preserve what we love best about our state. So thank you so much for being part of that. And I just, we just appreciate you so much. And I appreciate you joining me today. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we go? No, I appreciate the chance to talk with you and uh, I appreciate you moving here. Yeah, I've got a new neighbor from California who recently moved in and he moved here for uh, all the right reasons. He really wants to be a Tennessee and he wants to raise his kids here. And that's the beauty of our federal system is if you're living somewhere that doesn't work for you, yes. you can move to the state that aligns with your values and Tennessee aligns with a whole lot of people's values. They do. It does indeed. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, A.G. Scrimetti. Um, and uh, just keep fighting the fight. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.